looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by Northeastern by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You drive me wild. <laughs> what up, Crazy Train Radio? You look like hell. And I could look the same. What's the photo for? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Truth, 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 I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. I'm one crazy new Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any of the films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. I am your girl. I am Ginger Lynn coming to you from my favorite place to have on. That is Crazy Train Radio. And if I don't have Crazy Train Radio on, I don't have on anything at all. Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc Jonathan Steele. 
boy do we have a good one for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Well, I guess this go around, it might not be for all ages, but I like the line. I like the tagline, so I'm going to stick with it. So this person on the line right now has a couple of different careers that people would know her for. And if you're going back into the mid 80s, you might know her from some adult film work. But as things move along and progress, and we'll get into it, she has gotten into the mainstream acting, I guess is the best way to put it. And I would say most of our fans would know her from a couple of Rob Zombie films, one being 31, the other one being Devil's Rejects. But I had an opportunity to say hello in Jersey a couple of weeks ago at the Jersey Horror Con at the showboat in Atlantic City. But before I ramble on too much and we can dive into this, we have Miss Ginger Lynn. How are you? Good. I'm wonderful, sweetheart. How are you? Can't complain. And in setting this up, we were going to do this last week, but no big deal. Shit happens. She has been a very busy bee. So before we dive into you career-wise, what is keeping you so busy? And I mean that in a good way. Movies and conventions. I, I've finished two films recently. Well, I finished, I've got three coming out, four coming out. Um, I just finished doing a movie with Jake Busey uh, called The Pig Killer. It's the most not the most difficult role I've ever played. It's the most intense, dislikable, unlikable, horrible woman that I've ever played. <laughs> and it just so happens that I'm Lou Temple and Jake Busey's mother. So I wrapped on that film and I've been in rehearsals for my next film. And there's, there's a director by the name of Paul Ragsdale. And I, he has hired me three, four, I think this will be the fourth time then Streets of Vengeance for him, uh, Slash Rock Party, and now I'm doing Murder Size. And Paul writes 1980s throwback slasher films, hot girls, and then character actors, which I guess is what, what you would call me right now. Uh, so that's something else I've been, I've been in rehearsals. You met me at the convention recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I've got my own podcast, which is wholetthegirlsout.com. Uh, we just finished our hundredth episode, and I'm sorry, I have a 151 pound Rottweiler licking my toes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it could be in a worse situation. What you doing, Boo? What you doing? Yeah, I love you too. <laughs> not about me, like I was like nothing. I'm just licking you. <laughs> I hope we washed our feet at some point today, or is the dog hand on that for you? No, no. What he did was I took. I always take baths every day, and then I I put on. Um, a nice body oil. So he likes to lick the body oil off. So mm. I always taste good, honey. There you go. <laughs> hey, now. You know what? I want to grab something since we talked New Jersey. Right here, I had it in my desk. And this was kind of, uh, I guess, ironic. Because you said, 
I made a comment briefly about it, you know, tongue in cheek. And you're like, oh, yeah, take it. And it just seemed to fit, even though not at Showboat. And I'll get a picture of it to share with everybody since the video is not going to be shared. But it's a little game chip. Poker chip. Yes. Side has me and uh, Sid Haig as Captain Spaulding. Yes. The only photo, unless someone steals it from me on the internet, but the only photo that you will ever see Captain Spaulding being nice or kissing. You know, it's behind the scenes. And can you even think or imagine Captain Spaulding kissing? Ew. No. And so I loved Sid, loved him to death. I took that on my on my own personal phone. And it's you can only get it if you come to me. And now we put it on the poker chip. And that side we call heads. And if you flip the, the coin over or the poker chip over, the other side we call tails because it's a sexy shot of me. So heads and tails. It fits. It does. I like how you put that. That definitely fits when you think about it there. But I thought it was quite unique when I when you uh, said, yeah, check it out. Take it. So thank you for that. It was a nice little gesture from her, and I appreciate that. And well, you were so nice, it. and I appreciate when people come over and say hello. I really it, do. Exactly. Friends, I like my fans. I like new friends. And hopefully we will be going down that road for either. So, so far, so there you go. Uh, well, you started with the convention and I introduced you with saying hello at the New Jersey Horicon a couple weeks ago. So you've been doing them a lot lately. So that keeps you on the road several days a week and whatnot, because I know I've been working with another actress. I think you might know well and trying to book her for an interview. But it's so tough because she's got, you know, the family life. She's doing movies. Then she's usually at a convention every week in Felissa Rose. Oh, Felissa. I love Felissa. She's absolutely fabulous. Um, I will put in a good word for her for you, but Felissa is as busy, if not busier, than I am. Yeah, she's, you know, like I said, and I mean that all in a good way that she's got I, it's just go, 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 go. That you know, she's one really of the is. but anyway. This ain't about Felissa, even though love you, got a chance to say hello in Jersey, sweetheart as well. Absolutely. But uh, what is it like for you on the convention circuit? And how much fun is it for you to be able to, like you said, interact with friends and meet new fans and old fans and just the whole everything that goes with it? You know, touring, doing conventions have been some, it has been something that I've done for the last 15 years, maybe 20. I started doing conventions in the horror genre after the Devil's Rejects came out. And I totally just had a brain fart. What was the question? I was talking about, I asked you about, you know, your experience with it, having fun, seeing friends, meeting fans, just the whole. Yeah, got it. So, so what's happened actually over the, the last decade plus is not only have I found so many new friends in fans and met so many fans, but I've also, um, I'm sorry, I'm having the worst time. Oh, I've also become part of the conventions. I go to them and I know the vendors and I know the other actors that are there and I know the other actresses 
and, and agents and managers and, and staff. And I feel like I've become part of this incredible family of like the coolest people. You know, I used to do adult conventions. Then I did mainstream conventions, you know, just the Hollywood type conventions. And then I got into the horror genre. And I got to tell you, I have met by far the nicest people ever at horror conventions. I love them. They're exhausting, <laughs> but I love them. Okay. Well, with that being said, exhausting. And I would say this, and hopefully you can, and if I'm wrong, tell me so. But within the horror community, I would say when you're talking about film fans or anything like, or fans in general, they are probably some of the smartest people that you come across. Would oh. you agree with that? My fans are awesome. They know more about things. They know more about me than I do, first of all. But no, they're they're very intelligent. They're in the horror community. They're just a little bit quirky, and I'm a little bit quirky. And so it's this wonderful quirkiness that brings us together. But I, I do find a lot of my fans are, are extremely intelligent, which fares well on me. Well, speaking of that, and I mentioned as far as the, I guess you would call them mainstream movies with uh, Rob Zombie 31 and Rejects and whatnot. And we're what kidding about, it? we were kidding about Sid and all that. And we'll get in him in a minute. Well, I got to back you up here. Why wouldn't you call them mainstream films? Hmm. That's a good question. I would say. Yeah, they released Rob Zombie shown in theaters big movies do they have the budget that that you know of 60 million dollars a movie no no then neither did saw or neither did a lot of different films um and i would consider saw a mainstream film i um i don't i don't i know that there's the horror genre i consider the horror genre mainstream so i just had back you up there because no, we are mainstream yes and uh and a twist yeah, and depending on, and I would say, you know what, I would agree with that, that they are mainstream, because here's what I'm thinking about when you were saying that and trying to back me up there for a second. <laughs> when you say certain parts of Rob Zombie's film, say, we'll go The Devil's Rejects, Three from Hell, and you know, that series, right. and then you go with, you mentioned Saul and whatnot. I would agree with you, and here's why I agree with you. It's okay. because of the, yes, there's blood and guts and all that stuff that you see in a horror film. But you I see am those in mainstream, you know, guns yeah. and bullets and, you know, huge, the, huge, huge I'm thinking, I am thinking the psychological thriller. Okay, okay. And you do see that in a lot of psychological thrillers. It, yes, and that's that's what clicked in my head the psychological okay. thrower side of things all right i like that that's a good way to look at it when when you sat and think about that question it's like hmm. at least yeah, you're right <laughs> when you, when, so i guess i'm just really sensitive no because the longest time for me at least and my career my adult career was my adult career and my non-adult career was my mainstream whatever that may be I wasn't having sex on film. That's what I've always considered my mainstream career. 
And within that, I've got my my art. I paint every day. I've sold over 100 paintings. I've got an art website called gingerlandart.com. That as well is mainstream. So um, non-mainstream to me is pretty exclusively adult movies. Okay. So as we're going there, and I wasn't expecting to go this direction, but might as well. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. We might as well. Go. I'm going to go down this rabbit hole a little bit because okay. uh, obviously Rob Zombie would be on the scale of pictures more mainstream than say in independent films, which are becoming yes. more and more popular, whether they are independent in the um, sense of crowdfunding to raise the funds for them, or they're independent from not say Warner Brothers or Lionsgate or one of those type pro- projects. Where do you see independent films on this circle of mainstream, not mainstream, all that fun stuff? Um, independent films are as mainstream as you can get. And I have to be honest here. I have more fun and I'm not knocking anybody's sets or anybody's budgets, but I have more fun on independent films than I do on quote unquote mainstream films. You know, I've worked on Young Guns too. I've worked on, on, uh, uh, now my brain just went blank, uh, Vice Academy 1, 2, and 3, I, uh, which you consider B-movies. You know, I've worked in Leather Jackets with Bridget Fonda and Carrie Elways. I've worked in uh, The Independent with Jerry Stiller and Janine Garofalo. And a lot of the films that I do, I've done more mainstream, again, now that I have adult. And I think that indie films are going to get bigger and bigger because there are so many films being made right now. But the studios only make so many films a year. And everybody can't afford to go out to the movies every night. And, you know, it, it, it's 100 bucks a night to go out to the movies when you, with two people and if you're going to eat anything. So I think a lot of people, and especially at the, after getting more comfortable being home after the pandemic, are staying home and watching films that they normally wouldn't watch such as a lot of the indie films, you know, I, I, I'm a perfect example. You know, I've always gone to the big mainstream Hollywood films, but after, the, after, and during the pandemic, um, I found myself veering off into the more independent film genre. And I, I find them more interesting. I think that the people that put them together are uh, more of a team and everybody knows that their job means so much from, you know, the, the grips to the caterers to everybody that's on the set, obviously the crew and the cast, but everybody on an independent film seems to be part of the family at the time. And I love that aspect of it. I always leave feeling that I've made new friends. I'm trying to think of the line. I heard Chuck Russell, the director and writer use in a documentary and he was talking about the making of nightmare three, which at the time new line was, I guess, independent in terms of the scale in the eighties there. And he was talking about the lower budgets of not just nightmare and all, but it was, you know, that on the scale of things, it'd be, Hey, how much can we do this for under a hundred bucks? And it's like, we'll do that for, 
I'm just saying whether it's a prop or whatever we're doing right. to try to get on screen. It's like we will get that. I, I, we will I like get that done in yeah, for ninety absolutely. bucks. And and we do. I call it guerrilla filmmaking. And I could have not been more prepared for the horror genre if I'd grown up in in the in the industry. Because when I did adult movies, they were shot. My first film was shot on the island of Kauai. It took two weeks. And that was a, it was a quarter of a million dollar budget. That was huge for a, a, an adult film. And why am I bringing this up? So the, but we were talking no, budgets. <laughs> budgets. Yeah. And independent. Um, oh, guerrilla filmmaking. Yeah. So we had, you know, 30 people that were the, the cast, the crew, and everybody that came along when we filmed on the island of Kauai. And so that was technically what you would call an independent film. And the budgets seemed to dictate if they're mainstream or not, in my opinion. Fair enough. Since we're talking horror, and I do want to get into the porn and all that stuff, but on a personal level, were you yes. a fan of the horror genre growing up and if not when did you start really getting into besides the professional aspect of the horror genre i wasn't raised by a family that watched the horror genre but i remember my very first horror film and i remember like the the taste in my mouth i remember the the chills the goosebumps on my arms. I remember kidding the person that I was there with that adrenaline rush, that high. And it was the exorcist. I had never been afraid in my life. And for the first time, I was petrified. I was convinced that I was going to get possessed by the devil. I had two weeks of, of hell and that hooked me. I love, I love psychological thrillers. I love uh, horror films. I've, I've grown to love slasher movies. I like the things that are just slightly off, if you know what I mean. You know, even I, I, I like dark movies a lot, I like things that just, you know, that, I, 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 that aren't political. I hate when people mix politics with my entertainment. Um, I won't even mention a new movie that's out that I was so excited to see and then found out that it was, it, it's basically Hollywood sending a message. I'm like, that's not what I want to see in a movie. That's not what I want to see. Well, since we went there as far as what you like and what you watch and all that kind of stuff, what does Ginger Allen, and I'm talking the person, not the Ginger Lynn that everybody sees. Right. What does Ginger Allen and her other half, where do you guys spend your entertainment dollar? Is it something like you like to go to the theater or you a stay at home and like Netflix or Amazon prime Hulu, that kind of thing. What is your entertainment dollar go? Our entertainment dollar definitely goes to stay at home. We have, Hulu, we have Amazon prime. We have Amazon. We have Disney. We have uh, Paramount now. Uh, and what we watch, it depends on which channel we put it on. Um, I live in Las Vegas and we have something called Peacock, um, which is a third party uh, application and it's free on uh, you just have to watch uh, commercials and the neat thing is they recommend things every day and and right now they're having a, a Nick Cage marathon so they've got all the Nick Cage movies up 
And I met Nick years ago when I was dating Charlie Sheen and just think he's one of the nicest guys ever. And I love his performances. I love his acting. I, I love his, I, I keep using this word. I love his quirkiness. So I went this morning uh, as I was handling, I have an OnlyFans account. If you want to visit it, it's OnlyFans.com slash Blame It on Ginger. Easy to remember. Um, but so I'll, I'll, I had the television on and I was watching Bad Lieutenant, Lieutenant as I was doing my OnlyFans different things. Um, so a lot of times my focus is on my work, but I'll have a movie on in the background and somehow I can comprehend both. <laughs> it's... So I, I watch anything and everything. I'll watch, you know what I don't watch? I don't like rom-coms. I am not a romantic comedy girl. I don't know why. I watch pretty much anything and everything else. Can't stand them. Hmm. And by the way, like I said, people won't see the video, but I appreciate the mason jar you got your drink oh, in. Great. And you know what I'm drinking? Um, I, I don't drink sodas very often, but when I do, I like sodas from Mexico because they're still made with sugar. There's no sucrose and all the other you know, crap in there to sweeten it. it. It's like a real Coke. There you go, baby. Oh, shit. No. Yeah, there's no <laughs> she, sugar in it. Nope. The real, I, and I allow myself, I get the Coke, I get the orange Fanta, and I get the Sprite. I get one a day. And I, I'm from Illinois. I freaking love my mason jar. <laughs> totally understand that. So, obviously... <laughs> You uh, grew up in Illinois, but, and we know everything on the internet is true, 100%. Of course it is. <laughs> but when I was prepping, I heard there was a little rumor, or at least read it, that you went out to California to visit a family member and you were working at something called Redlands. So what actually oh, took you out? In Redlands. What actually took you out? Was that true that you went to see a family member? And how did you um, get your start out there? My grandfather was my one of my favorite people in the world. He and my father are just so in my heart. Um, and my grandparents moved to California when I was 19. I was supposed to move with them, but I stayed behind to be with the guy. You know, you know the guy. <laughs> There's been a lot of the guys. Uh, so... I came out, my grandfather actually had a heart attack, so I came out to visit, and I was working for a company called Musicland. Uh, I was an assistant manager in Rockford, Illinois, came out to LA, to Redlands, California, went into the local Musicland and said, I would love to work here. They were in need of a troubleshooter who would handle nine stores, get them out of the red into the black. That was my position. And I love living in California. I thought it was going to be different, though. I thought I was going to be on the beach every day, you know, just a different lifestyle rather than working 70 hours a week and living in, in a trailer behind a Mexican restaurant. And I'm not talking the real trailer. I'm talking the kind you can pull around, a fifth wheel trailer with no truck attached. So my grandfather sadly didn't make it. and. I, uh, I went back to Illinois for the funeral and the, uh, the woman who ran 
majority of the stores. I can't think of the regional manager called me up and said, we need a troubleshooter. We'd love to hire you. Uh, and so I just went back to California. My grandparents had left their fifth wheel trailer in a trailer park in Redlands because it was near the hospital that my grandfather was in. So I ended up living my first six months in the, yeah, about six months in the Los Angeles area uh, in a trailer park, in a trailer. Hey, we do what we got to do. You know what? I am so proud of who I am and where I came from. You know, my roots are, are very, very simple. And I, I, I try to treat my family like friends and my friends like family. I like that. Because that almost reminds me of something I heard a Garth Brooks site in a documentary about him last year. And it's what you said there. It's like, it's a blessing and a curse. In terms of, you know, there's two sides of the fence there. And I like how you said that about your family and your friends and all that stuff. It it has the same feel to it. I, I love that scheme. Thank you. So, obviously you meet some photographers and whatnot and you had a little competitive competitiveness i would say in what to shoot you for penthouse so from what i heard anyway i never had any competitiveness shooting me for not not you but it was the the photographers like Oh, I'll shoot you. Oh, again, oh, oh, oh. Not, not, not you. It was the people wanting okay. to shoot you. Yes. I, I probably worded that, worded that wrong. I'm sorry. But the, it wasn't you. It was the people that said. Photographers. That. Yes. yes. That is a true story. When I I walked into the World Modeling Agency, uh, I remember seeing photographs on the wall of these beautiful women. Seika was up there. Marilyn Chambers was up there. Shauna Grant was up there, Vanessa Del Rio, all of these just uh, Kelly Nichols. They were the the girls and I wanted to be one of those girls. So uh, I went in that first day and took my Polaroids, which was norm for the time They would take you in the back room and take new Polaroids of you. And then my agent, Jim South, had this three ring binder that was, you know, 10 inches thick with all the people who wanted to be informed. And so you went into the book, newer people went in the beginning of the book. Yes, exactly. That same binder. Prop comedy here, folks. Yeah, for us. (laughs) And so uh, Stephen Hicks came in to my agent's office where I was just kind of hanging out and said, I want to shoot you for Penthouse. And my heart started to beat fast. I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be in Penthouse. I was so excited. And he said, yes, I'm going to, I have to do a shoot down in Mexico. I'll be back in two weeks and we'll shoot you. Um, but he took me that day and we did test shots for Penthouse. Uh, I went back to my agent's office later in the day and Suze Randall came into the office and said, I want to shoot you for Penthouse. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm shooting for Stephen Hicks in two weeks. And Suze is one of my favorite people. She was my mentor. She was my my big sister. She was always there for me throughout my career during all my good times and all of my bad times. Suze was wonderful. So she just said, I'm shooting for Penthouse tomorrow. 
And I couldn't say no. <laughs> Just something I, felt right with her. I was like, oh, all right, I guess I'm shooting for you tomorrow. And I did. Um, Stephen and I remained friends. He shot me for, oh, I can't remember what magazines. He always shot for the higher end adult magazines. Um, not to say that Suze didn't, but th there were some that nobody ever really read. Genesis is what he shot me for. Okay. Now, because obviously I haven't got through the whole documentary of it, but on a and &E, I'm a big documentary person. Love and them. I started watching recently the on, I believe it's A&E. They were doing about the secrets of Playboy, I believe it's called. I've heard about it, have not watched it. Yeah. So from your experience, obviously you went to shoot for Penthouse and whatnot. So especially with that time period, because obviously you've been out of that genre for many, many years at this point. But what would you say the biggest difference was from your knowledge of Penthouse and Playboy? When I, <coughs> excuse me, when I posed for Penthouse, the deal was if they didn't make you a centerfold, you were paid $500. If they did make you a centerfold, I'd get $5,000. Penthouse paid me the $5,000 to beat the centerfold. At in the early 80s, this is 1984, very beginning of it, uh, Penthouse wouldn't even think of having a porn star in the magazine. They were above that at the time. It wasn't what the magazine was about. And so my pet status went from centerfold to feature layout, even though I was paid to be a centerfold. Um, Playboy. My experiences with Playboy, I did a couple of things. I did a piece called B-Movie Bimbos, which is brilliant. Um, love that. Um, I was in Australian Playboy. Um, my penthouse, I believe, was May of 1984. There was a mother and a daughter on the cover. But my, my, just to compare the experiences, penthouse, uh, they, they were too good for me at the time to put me as a feature or I wasn't good enough for them how we look at it. Now Playboy, um, I started hanging out at the mansion maybe six months into the industry and I had a permanent pass. I could go up at nine in the morning and just hang out by the pool. Uh, it wasn't just the party pass. I had fabulous experiences at the mansion. I met a lot of colorful, interesting <laughs> um, it was the 80s, so uh, cocaine was very, very prevalent and easily available. Everybody went to have a good time. Um, I did my time in the grotto. I was at the, the dinner tables that were all, you know, the one that seats 50 people. Uh, you know, you're sitting next to uh, Michael Jackson's nose job doctor. I don't know. You know, there, there, it's, it's, but I got to go there whenever I wanted. So ended up spending for about two years every weekend there. I had my own toothbrush. I had a little spot in the closet and I never slept with half. I mean, I've been in the same bed with him, but with his girlfriend, uh, Carrie Lee and I were lovers for, for a while. So uh, I, I loved being at the mansion. I loved half. I loved his friends. 
nothing freaky, no coercions, no, you know, I, I mean, it may, I, I don't know what the stories that are, that they're saying. I don't know if they're sure. I don't know if they're false. My personal experience with, with Playboy was amazing. Yeah. And that's yeah. all we're going with, with what you experienced. So that's all I can speak of. Exactly. But I want to go back to the, I found it interesting, the business aspect, and I'm not the IRS. I'm not looking to dive into your 1099s and all that stuff, but why not? That's uh, what I was hoping we would do. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Well, well, I'll I'll double check with the paperwork later, but the business hat in me is okay. You get, you mentioned about, you get paid for this gig this gig yeah depending on what it is and what they're hiring you for but i'd be curious to know because i know in some forms of entertainment there is and i know people notice royalties in some sort whether it's be in movies or merchandising and different things like that so in the adult industry whether it be in the magazines or when you went on to do movies and such was there an opportunity to make more money with royalties and such? When I, I was the very first contract girl in the adult film industry. Uh, and the way they presented it to me was that they wanted me to be like Marilyn Monroe was to the studios in her day. Um, you know, I was the, the face of the studio and they, they gave me royalties based on my, my limit was three scenes per movie. So I was paid for the scenes. I was paid for the sex scenes. I was paid a different rate for just acting days. I was paid to do the cover of the magazine. Um, and then I received royalties based on how many scenes per movie. I ended up doing 14 films for Vivid. Um, and rather than having my standard, you know, three picture deal or $3,000, I charged a thousand a scene uh, at the time. So when I, being the first contract girl, I received money per sex scene. My rate at the time was a thousand dollars per scene. Uh, and then we had acting days. So I got another rate for my, my acting days. I was paid to do the box cover. We did a lot of promotion where we would go to the distributors. I would fly with the owner of the company and I would sign hundreds and hundreds of posters. So the distributors would be all thrilled. Oh, they get to meet Ginger and let's sell her movies. So my career had already been around for a year, um, but Vivid was brand new. So it really gave them the, the, my name was good for their company, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, my name and my image. So we, we both did well from it. Um, now we we're talking about the now budgets. Where were we going with this? Uh, royalties and different oh, things. So, and, try, and trying to get more than, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that you weren't trying to get more, but it was. There was, was one there bonuses and stuff for you if things did well. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, no, that wasn't my goal. You know, I didn't really have a goal. I was this, I I wasn't naive, but I definitely wasn't an LA girl yet. Uh, 
and I'm still not an LA girl. I don't, I, part of me is, you know, I've gotten a little, little LA in me, but you know, I, I try to keep it at check if I can. <laughs> well, here's the thing that wasn't brought up as far as not only the industry, but I would think, and for the little bit I've interacted with you, I would think it carries over in all aspects of your life. From when you first walked into your agent's office and you had the bidding war for the to shoot you from the photographers and everything else like that, and you went back to the agent. And I've heard this story, so that's why I'm trying to sum it up a little bit. Is and we can dive into it if you want. But you, when you went back into the agent's office, you set standards. This is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I'm not comfortable with. And, you know, I mean, you set boundaries. I asked for $1,000 a scene, which was what the stars that had been, like the big movie stars were getting. They, they laughed at me and said I'd never get it. Two, two weeks later, I got it. So And that's, like, that goes to the Kauai trip and that, that first. Kauai trip, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I did get known to a certain extent as kind of a bitch when it came to business because I had my rules. I had script approval. I had cast approval. I charged a thousand dollars for a regular girl, girl or boy, girl scene. I charged 5,000 for an anal scene. You know, I, PPs were a whole other story. Then I quit for 13 years. Uh, I went to acting school. I studied at the Beverly Hills Playhouse. Uh, with Al Mancini, Bill Cagmus, and finally Milton Katselis, uh, which was a really fun time in my life. It was six years of going back to school, but because I wanted to. Uh, and, and it really helped me find the courage to play the different characters that I played. Um, as I get older, I'm getting roles that are much, much more interesting, uh, roles that I have to have absolutely no ego. Did There's a trilogy that's coming out. The working title is uh, Lady Killer TV, three-part series. Felissa Rose is in all three. I come in in part two, and we created, I created, this 80-year-old foul mouth, just angry as shit, horrible woman that just so happens to like to kill people on the side. You know, she's she's just foul as can be. And they put this makeup on me that had like age spots all over. And then almost it they used a brush and it felt like a wet glaze of paint and that tightened up. I had wrinkles and liver spots all over my face, all over my chest, my arms. It was, I look, I've I've got photos of my phone. I look so unattractive, (laughs) but her name is Francine and she's one of the most interesting, just wrong characters that I've ever gotten the opportunity to play. And I got to tell you that I got a phone call. Thursday or Friday night last week from the director, producer, Jeremy Spencer or Spicer, sorry, 
uh, saying, will you play Francine again? And I, I said, absolutely. What they're doing is the other three, the trilogy have not been released yet. Uh, they're having trouble getting the ratings that they want to. So they're shooting a prequel slash sequel. You don't know. It, if it comes out before the other three, then it's, then it's, um, the, I, it's cool. the, I, I, the, yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. So anyway, we're, I just was called and they're doing an entire movie. It's called Francine and Harold with me and my son. And we're, we're basically, and, and, and a few more family members, uh, basically a serial killer family. We do it all together. It's been done before, but not like this. <laughs> well, as far as the age thing, you said, where you've grown as a person and all, and that's the way I took it. But it reminded me of a saying that my grandfather had told me. And I, unfortunately, I lost him when I was eight in 93. I'm but so what it, it is what it is. But it's, I, there's another story I won't get into on air. The connection between us but the site you reminded me of his saying in terms of wise beyond your years so it seems like you have become smarter than what your chronological age is if that makes sense That's, it makes complete sense and it's a huge compliment thank you so much i you know my my grandfather was was a deputy sheriff uh and so he would come home every day with his guns and his holsters and his leather and his billy club and, you know, the, the star and the, the uniform and the hat. And he rode uh, a Harley. He was like the coolest motorcycle cop ever. Rolled up his sleeves with his camel cigarettes in them. Uh, and why am I telling you about my grandfather? Maybe because I briefly mentioned and went and quoted mine. Oh, because, oh, yeah, there was, a, there was something that went along with it. So I must have meant to say, I totally get it. He was my, my best friend, too. And I'm sorry for your loss. Hey. So anyway, you know, it's very impressive. And it's the vibe I get. And I'm talking, and I hope you don't mind me saying this. It's the vibe I get from Ginger Allen, not Ginger Linda. Oh, my God. She's the actress. She's this. She's that. I'm going off the vibe of the person and which we enjoy doing on the show dealing with the real people um you know my, my real name is ginger lynn allen uh and i own everything that i've ever done but i do categorize myself into two places there's ginger lynn who did adult and then there's ginger lynn allen the real girl, the whole woman, that's a mainstream actress and an artist and a podcast uh, uh, host and, and an OnlyFans girl. And the most important job that I have, and it's a never-ending one, I have, I have a son. And he's 26 now, but I just got to say that like, I didn't expect that motherhood would still be so strong after this long. And I still consider it, you know, my, he calls for my advice, my friendship, my understanding. He calls for 
you know, we're, we're very close. And, and so for me, uh, that's my, my best gift. And I, you know, I, I've done something that I never thought I would do. I like people. Uh, I'm a people person. I get along with people. And up until 13 years ago, let's just say I was very promiscuous. Um, if I wanted you, I usually got you. Uh, I can't think off of hand anyone that I didn't get that I went after. <laughs> okay. So you know what I'm saying. But the biggest gift I've ever given anyone for me is I've been with the same man for, we're going to be 13 years in July. And I don't, I haven't been with another man since. Plan on being with another man again. And it's just so special that I feel that we belong together, that I'm not someone, it's just created a stronger bond and I'm in a really good, happy, healthy relationship. Well, that is good to hear. But when I was separating it and it was, I was going with the, Ginger Lynn persona that is seen in the entertainment sphere, whether it be the mainstream movies, the adult films, the yeah, I mean the the public persona, then the right. what people may not think of you as far as the real person, like you're saying, the mom, the the girl, the girlfriend or wife, or yeah, you know, I mean the real right, right. But you know what? I got to tell you, for the most part, I am. I'm about as down to earth as anyone gets. I don't really have a public persona. Um, I'm I'm pretty much always nice to people, you know. So when when fans come up, I'm just being me. I am a nice person. I enjoy meeting you. I want to know, you know, what you watched me and how it made you feel. What you want to see me in next? Where you're from? But I want to, I want to get to know you. And so that's a big part of Ginger Lynn Allen. Ginger Lynn Allen cooks, love to cook, cook all the time. You name it. I can cook it except for paella. I have not mastered paella. I can make, I can make a mean roux. Uh, Oh, what's the soup that I made that's so delicious. I can't think of right now. Uh, but I've got a root that takes me an hour to make before I get the actual soup going in there. Um, Ginger Lynn Allen, I knit. Um, I, I, I normally knit for friends and family and things, but I, I had I love doing it. And so a lot of times while I'm watching a movie, I'll knit as well. And so I had like 22 blankets that I, that, we're in one room and I'm at the grocery store and this guy is standing there with a little girl and she comes over and she says, we're collecting blankets for Ukraine. Here's a, here's our flyer, drop them off at our house. And so I'm going, Woohoo! I've got 22 blankets. So I, I went home, I got those big giant sturdy plastic bags and I gave a piece of me. I gave, I gave love and warmth and the only thing that I know how to do to give right now to help 
is, you know, these blankets. And I've got two new ones downstairs, finishing a third one. So that's the real gingerly now. Um, you know, I'm, I, I, when you meet me, pretty much what you see is what you get. Yeah. If I'm tired, I'm going to be a little cranky. Um, most of the time, I'm in a good mood. When I do conventions, especially big ones or ones that I have a line forever and ever, when I'm finished, it's kind of like the adrenaline rush starts when you meet that first friend or first fan, and it goes throughout the whole day. As soon as that, as soon as the convention is over, it crashes. It, you crash. You really do. I want to go to my room. I want food delivered. I want to put something on the TV. I don't want to go out. I can count the number of times I've, I've gone out on one hand. I'm, you know, and most of those have been because I've had to, because with the pandemic, a lot of hotel restaurants have been closed. Uh, and they're, they haven't reopened now because they don't have any employees, which is a whole nother issue. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole different conversation. Well, we've talked about you meeting friends and fans and stuff at different environments, whether it be conventions or out and about and whatever. But I've been having fun asking this question of the guests. Strangest place you've ever been recognized for anything you've done. Oh, I it it the whole scenario was strange, and it happened in Atlantic City. This and recent trip, just this recent trip, and I went to one of the casinos, and um, I like to play um, Ultimate Texas Hold'em uh, or Texas. I don't know. I think that it's ultimate. It's either ultimate Texas or Texas Texas ultimate. Anyway, it's five card poker, you know. Um, and and I love playing it. Uh, but I'm sitting at this table, and across from me is a craps table, and it's full of people that all are speaking some sort of Asian dialect. They don't speak any English. They're just doing the money thing and they're kicking ass. And there's this one guy that's got his hand, his head in his hand, and he's just staring at me. For like, and like, I don't even know if you looked down at the table. He must have because he was playing and got his money and was doing his shit. But every time I looked up, he was staring at me. So it wasn't that it was so much a strange place. It was just, I felt like I was, you know, because I, I guess I didn't realize that people from all over the world know who I am. Um, thinking back a little more clearly, I think the strangest, or I'll call it the funniest place I've ever been recognized is at the bank. And what happened was I, I go in, I get in line, I'm dating Eric Edwards at the time. Eric is with me. Uh, we get up to the counter girl's doing what I'm doing. We're doing our thing. And the bank manager comes over. He's like, oh, oh my God, it's you. I know you. You're in. And he goes, don't tell me. Don't tell me. You're in that show. All right. All right. I'll just give me a minute. And so he's just going. And then all of a 
sudden, he stops being animated and he turns red and it goes from his chest up to his neck, up to like his face. You can see the red rising as he realizes who I am. And then he goes, oh, never mind. I thought you're somebody else. And he scurries off. It was just his. But you knew he knew. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, and he was so excited when he thought it was something that he would talk about publicly. And remember, this is the, the mid 80s. And so people weren't as accepting of sex, of pornography, of women owning their own bodies, women making the choices of what they do with their bodies. Um, it was just a different time. There are and were women back then that think the way that I do. And the only way I can describe it is My boyfriend describes it this way. I am 100% woman, but then I'm an extra 50% extra here. Man, I think like a dude. <laughs> um, like I see a hot girl or a hot guy, and, and if it's a girl, I'm nudging you and, hey, 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 look at that ass, whatever it is, you know, and I just automatically appreciate someone who's beautiful. Uh, Totally forgot what we're talking about again. I'm very good at you, that. You were talking about when you got recognized at the bank the one oh, time, and the then bank. you, but then you mentioned about the 100% woman and yeah, yeah. Then I just went on to so, um, I don't know why I went off on that tangent, but yeah, I, I shit I, happens. I get it. <laughs> it does. <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. all right, Jonathan. It's up to you. Balls back in your court, baby. Okay, well, I I can take that in a whole different way, but I'm not gonna. But here, well, you know, I'll kind of go there, halfway there, and I want to bring up Atlantic City for a second because, like I said, I had a chance to say hello to Felissa, you know, trying to get her, but scheduling, you know, how that goes. But it was funny we when we were talking, and I got her to pop in terms of she had obviously most people know her for sleepaway camp and right the. I guess it wasn't as big of a thing then as it's become now in terms of transgender and all that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, so anyway, I got her to pop because obviously there was a picture of the final scene where right. her character's nude and all that stuff. And I said, exactly. I said, uh, Felissa, I got to tell you something. She goes, what's that? As you know, we're just chit chatting. There was a lull from fans for for her and all, and we're yeah. I wanted to put a face to the introduction, the communication, do email and all. And I said, I gotta let you know something. And I pointed a picture. I said, I gotta say, I'm a little jealous. She looks at me odd. She goes, "What do you mean you're jealous?" I said, "Well, and I know I'll get heat for this, but I don't care." But I go, "I'm jealous of this picture because." I'm Jewish and got everything half off. And <laughs> and she goes, she goes, oh my, she starts tearing up laughing, going, I love oh. you. Oh my God, that's great. 
because I just came from so far left field with that. And she's like, oh, my God, that's hysterical. That's brilliant. <laughs> and you, you got to figure the characters 12, 13 at the time. And I'm 37. Right. So I said, I'm jealous of a 12 or 13 year old. She, right. Oh, <laughs> uh, she goes, oh, my God. She starts laughing her ass off going, I love you. So anyway, we uh, I want to jump back into the horror and the Rob Zombie projects to wrap here. And was this true that you tore up your knee prior to filming a Devil's Rejects? I'm I'm a, a, a three time black belt, and when I fight, I fight. I I haven't since my last surgery, which was my fourth surgery, uh, but I did it for a really long time and 22 years straight, and so. Two weeks before filming The Devil's Rejects, I'm, I'm sparring and, I'm, and when I, I'm fighting for real. And I threw a double roundhouse and I didn't pivot. And I tore my ACL, my MCL, and my meniscus in my left leg. You have to wait. I had to get a good surgeon. I had to wear a brace on it for a couple of weeks. So anyway, filming coincided with the brace. So I had a, a leg brace from my thigh down to my ankle. And the funniest part of it, the best, my favorite story, or one of them, there's so many from this movie, is I got to the set and we were out in the middle of the desert, a very, very small house, one out in the, the kind of area where literally three miles away, there had been a, uh, a meth explosion and the how it still stunk out there. So this little plate, little room, and I'm on crutches. So I come in on crutches. I've got the leg in the cast. And Rob looks at me and says, your agent said you couldn't run. That was it. And I'm like, no, I can't. I can't walk. And so Rob was flustered for a moment, but he's a professional. And the next thing I knew, somebody had taken my crutches. And it was such a small set. We had these big air vent things that are, are three foot tall. So big, big round, taking up most of the room. And... What they did was the all I'm wearing is a red corset, and the crew passed me down from the beginning of the door to the set where Sid was lying on the bed in his dirty, you know, stained underwear, and they plopped me right on top of Sid. My left leg is out. If you watch the film, you only see me from the right side, the front, and my back side. My left leg is straight out. The left side. So I met Sam the plop with the, with a broken leg. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Uh, nice to meet you. Yeah, <laughs> nice you, know, to and, meet you. Uh, you know what? It was so weird and unusual and funny that we both saw the humor in it and we just clicked. And we shot that scene maybe two times. Um, three of the, uh, very little, we did the bare minimum, maybe a two shot and two singles. Um, but we did no rehearsing. We did nothing. Sid and I just quit. One of my favorite actors I've ever worked with. Hence Rob the picture. Tom, hence the picture on my poker chip. Yes. Yes. Uh, and final question for me. And I appreciate the time. So I'll combine this. It's my pleasure. Working with Rob Zombie, because I obviously I heard you were cast for, or he wanted to cast you for Lords of Salem and all, but 
scheduling or something didn't work out. But what was it like working with Rob for both Devil's Rejects and 31? And what kind of freedom did he give you and the cast in general to do what you were hired to do? Rob takes guerrilla filming to the mainstream level. Rob is on it. He knows when your call time is your call time, you're, you're, you're in makeup and when you're supposed to be, when you get out, you're on the set. I did, when we shot 31, I literally met Richard Brake, had five minutes to go over dialogue that Rob had rewritten overnight. I had memorized the same certain dialogue, the original dialogue for three months, the morning of the shoot. He changed all the dialogue at like 6.30. My call time was like like 7.30 or 8. And when you're in makeup, you know, I did the best that I could memorizing my dialogue. So Richard and I ran the, the scene once. And Rob is the kind of director, he, he, he knew we had little time to memorize. And I, I, I let him know that. And he's wonderful to talk to. Easy as a director. Knows where he wants to go. Tells you what he wants and gives you the freedom to take it where you want to go as well. The scene in 31, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm disappointed. Mm-hmm. I'm disappointed that you, the viewer, the fan of the Rob Zombie genre, his film in particular, did not get to see the film that he shot. In the original script, I played Doomhead's girlfriend. I'm uh, 30 minutes of my dialogue is on the editing room floor. And so I become nothing more than a whore in the film. Um, I wish people had the opportunity to see or read the original script. It was brilliant. I still like 31 um, as an actor. Uh, loved, loved, loved working with Rob. I'm lucky that I didn't get out. People get cut out, or act in his films all the time. They get cut out completely. And I had never been cut out of a film before or, you know, that much of my footage. I, I shouldn't say that. Young Guns too, I had a lot of footage cut out. But it doesn't happen very often whenever I perform. It's usually what I do is integral enough to the script that you really can't cut me out. Um, so I just, I, I wish Rob could have had his vision come out as a mainstream film totally makes sense and hopefully maybe i think rob's creative enough never dealt with a man but from what i know of him it seems like he would have that extra uh cutting room floor footage and that at some point we can maybe see like a director's cut or you know like see stuff i hope so i would hope so it's funny with rob as far as working with him as a director there's no, it's smooth. It's easy. We get each other. We talk. We have questions. We have a subject. We have a character. We have a, a direction. We have all of these things that we're both working on to give each other what they need. And we're really good at it. But it's funny. You know, I, I, I've seen Rob at several different events and parties and just a couple of different places. And whenever we see each other and we're not working, we have that weird conversation that you have with someone where you both talk at the same time, then you stop. And then you wait for the other person to start. And as soon as they start, you've just started. And all of our non-professional dialogue 
has been that uh, we don't know how to talk to each other. <laughs> and that usually doesn't happen to me. I think that he's just, I think he's one of the hardest me- working men in Hollywood. And I think that he's preoccupied with his project that he's currently working on. And when he wraps one, he's already on to another. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he works really, really hard. I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to work for him. And I, he's cast me in three of his films. I, I hope it's usually, you know, five to eight years between. So it should be pretty soon. You might <laughs> be getting another so. phone call. Yeah. You know, you never know with Rob. Um, he tends to use the same people all the time. So hopefully I'll be one of those that comes back again. So obviously thank you for the time, but you, I want to bring it up here where, cause you've mentioned a few different things. Yes. Throughout the show. So what's the websites people can go to the podcast, social yep. media, all that. All right. You can go to gingerlinart.com. Self-explanatory gingerlinauctions.com for your favorite lingerie. Uh, you can go to who let the girls out.com, which carries a link to everything that I do. You can listen to on my podcast with Christy Cannon, which is who let the girls out.com. You can find that the easiest at patreon.com slash who let the girls out, all one word. Um, Twitter, my Twitter handle is name it on ginger. My Instagram handle is blame it on ginger. Uh, what else do I do? I think that's all that I'm doing. <laughs> oh, my OnlyFans is OnlyFans.com slash Ginger Lynn. My Sext Panther is uh, SextPanther.com slash Ginger Dashlin. I well, think I've covered everything. I get around, you know, a girl's got to got to keep herself busy these days. And I was going to say that was a mouthful, but that can lead to a different rabbit hole. But we yeah, exactly. <laughs> but <laughs> Ginger, thank you so much for the time. Uh, thank you, baby. Love you. Thank you, Jonathan. Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts, there's bound to be injuries. <laughs> now that's what I call depressing. It's gonna make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope wanna jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting Now That's What I Call Depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars. Wrinkled Ladies.
For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend whilst in Cell Block 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. Who the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Far thing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. Hey y'all, this is Adam Marcus, writer and director of Jason Goes to Hell and Secret Santa, and you are taking a ride on Crazy Train Radio. Badass.